So he uses the phrase en Christo 164 times in his authentic letters. It's hands down. And he thinks we know what he's talking about. It's his code word for what I'm trying to tell you now. It's a participatory experience. Christ is not an individual. Christ is a collective. This is the Mediocre Men Podcast. Mediocre Men, Great Big God. Give us some men who know the truth. And who will declare the truth declare from the housetops that the gospel is the power of God and salvation. Christ must be the final Lord and not Caesar and not society. I mean, this is what's wrong with the Christian church today. We don't know who God is and we don't know who we are. I am not preaching Christ to get to heaven. I am preaching Christ because I'm going. And I want to see others come with me. Well, David, here we are again, uh, talking about what I find a very interesting topic, uh, Red Letter Christians. Yep. Uh, For me, um, I heard the term, um, but it was very interesting when we started digging more into this. There's, there's a whole movement. There is, and it's it's one of these topics, that, like Bill, I think it's Tony, one of the founders of, of the Red Letter Christians, that made the comment about why it wasn't, it doesn't seem to be tracking or catching ground, basically. And, and it is true in a sense, there's a lot of people out there that haven't heard about it. But then I guess what, what why I wanted to do this topic tonight is there was a group I used to follow on Facebook, a pretty cool bunch of guys and, and women, and we agreed on almost everything, but then the admins of that group started coming out as red letter Christians and started sharing things that just seemed off. And so I thought, well, David, let's dig into this and see who the red letter Christians are. Exactly. Well, you, you know, let, let's start with the definition of, of who these people are. I, I think we can kind of figure out by the term what they are. Uh, it, it's a movement that seeks to live in accordance to the red letters of the Bible, so a.k.a. The words of Jesus. Yeah. Um, there, there's some very per- peculiar things about that. Um, for starters, um, the, the the writers of the New Testament didn't write in red. No, they didn't. And, and a little bit of history on the red letters, I guess, to give it. We didn't really. No one saw red letters in the Bible until about 1899. When uh, Louis Klopsch, did I pronounce that right? Klopsch? Anyhow, he's German. He decided to do it, and by the later year of, later in 1899 came out the first edition, it was a huge hit, and by 1901 it was mass produced, basically. And then we are today using the Holman Christian Standard Bible, and the rate is no longer in this one. But it, it's interesting. It, it wasn't always there. The, the writers obviously didn't write in red. It was an addition where, the, at the time, the guy who did it, the, the Lewis guy, had a pure intent. He like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if people read and could easily see where Jesus was speaking? Right. And the, and the thing is, like, as, as you mentioned, uh, Glenn, off air, um, it's sometimes it's not very clear when Jesus is speaking 
and when he's not. So, for instance, in the book of uh, in the Gospel of John, um, in John chapter three, the the speech that he has with Nicodemus. Um, if if you were to look closer, what you would notice is there's there's areas where it would not appear that Jesus is actually saying it, and there's actually a little bit of a, of a bleed over between the gospel writer John and what Jesus is saying. Um, yeah, and you kind of I would say it, what I said earlier before we started recording that it looks like it starts around verse thirteen because you see at the beginning of John chapter three you get Jesus speaking in the first person. And then after verse 13 or verse 13 and on, it goes descriptive third person, like speaking of Jesus instead of Jesus doing the speaking. Right. And I mean, the, the, the infamous, or not infamous, that's, that's, not, that's not the right word, but the famous uh, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This actually may have been from the gospel writer, John. And yeah. I mean, unless Jesus has a complex. Yeah, I don't think he does, but yeah. So anyways, um, I mean, I guess we're kind of jumping into this a little um, quicker than, than we envisioned. We, we so why don't we just kind of come back a little bit. Um, so we kind of just established that, um, that this movement, uh, they take those red letters and uh, they focus on them. They try to live by those words. So a big one being the Sermon on the Mount and, and others. Um, this movement started in 2007 uh, by a man by the name of Tony Campolo. Uh, what he did was he gathered a bunch of like-minded authors and speakers who felt strongly uh, that uh, Western Christianity had lost its focus on Jesus and were concerned at the growing misuse of the word evangelical uh, to identify a voting bloc. And so what he did was he gathered a bunch of like-minded people together and uh, he talked about this in his book, Red Letter Christians. And um, just if, if you're familiar with, church, with recent church history, you might be familiar with some of these names. I'm just going to read this quote. It says, he writes, a group of us who are speakers and authors and who share an evangelical theology got together and confessed that we have a hard time applying the label evangelical to ourselves anymore. Among those who gathered were Brian McLaren, uh-oh, red flag, Richard Rohr, even redder flag, uh, and Jim Wallace. Uh, they settled on the name Red Letter Christians as an alternative to evangelical. In adopting the name, we are saying that we are committed to living out the things that Jesus taught. So right there we have well, I guess four names, Tony Campolo, Brian McLaren, Richard Rohr, and Jim Wallace. These are founding members. Yeah, and I, I sent you the audio clip the other night, and I put it in the beginning of this episode, David, just so people could kind of get a grasp of the, the history of this movement and the, found, the founding men, members who started it. And the clip would have, the clip that I shared of Richard Rohr, what part it wasn't in it was he also not only discredits the the literal physical Christ. Mm -hmm. He also mocks the creation story and a few other passages. So he uh, also calls the cross, which is central to Christianity, an act of cosmic child abuse. Yeah. Yeah. So this is somebody who was at the table in 2007 with Tony Campolo. Um, Brian McLaren, another person who was at the table, uh, you may 
you may know his, his name. Um, back, oh, it's got to have been about 10 years ago, there was this movement called the Emergent Church. They were progressive, they were liberal in their theology, and it was Brian McLaren and Rob Bell. Both of these people were key influential leaders in this movement. They were actually influenced by Richard War. Um, so Brian McLaren is emergent church um, progressive Christianity. I always thought emergent church ended, um, but all they did was they went underground and now they have emerged with a vengeance and they are the progressive Christians. So if you hear stuff as I'm um, deconstructing my faith, well, that's part of that progressive Christianity. So he's at the table. Tony Campolo is at the table. Um, Tony Campolo, in 19, I believe it was 1985, he had something questioned about his, his, his teaching. And if I got it straight, it had to do with Jesus and me, which was a little bit weird sounding. And he it wasn't called a heretic at that time, but he was watched. Um, and then he just could continue drifting. Um, yeah. So you got Brian McLaren, you got Tony Campolo, who we'll, we'll get into what they're embracing now. Um, Richard War, uh, but there's a um, Jim Wallace. Can you, can you share a little bit about Jim Wallace? Yeah, Jim Wallace has a bit of an interesting history too. He has he runs a magazine called The Sojourners, and in 2010, Wallace admitted to accepting money from, for Sojourners from philanthropist George Soros, but he initially denied that. And and when conservative writer Marvin Olowski pointed this out, and that Soros also financed groups such as abortion, atheism, atheism and same-sex marriage in a World Magazine column, Wallace said, Glenn Beck lies for a living. I'm sad to see Marvin Olasky doing the same thing. Um, so he, he held on to that secret to the point where he lied about it, and then officially in 2010 he admitted it, that he was accepting money from George Soros. And I mean, that kind of shows his character. It does, and considering it was like $150,000, like Soros doesn't give money to people that... He doesn't share some type of interest with, so you wonder. Yeah. yeah. So you got you got these four people that are at the table, this first meeting that they got together and formed uh, Red Letter Christians, or at least coined the term. And then I believe it was in, what is it, 2011? Yeah. Um, Shane Claiborne joined them. And Shane Claiborne, I'm not too familiar with him. What I do know about him is that he's an activist. He's a leader in the new monastic movement. He actually did ministry with Mother Teresa. Uh, he's very big into social gospel, um, which is a, a core component of Red Letter Christianity. Um, he came on the Red Letter Christian show. Yeah, there was a show. Yeah. Um, in, in 2011 with Tony Campolo as a guest and, and co-host and um, together they they're really the two people that, that have um, carried on this movement they have and they started the blog and they've got their website now redletterchristians.org and Shane is basically the face of the Red Letter Christian movement now and but if you search any of these guys names on the american site or the uk site you'll see all their names popping up they've all played a part in writing for the site um, but shane if you watch any of his he has prayer hour i think that's what they call it um i'm gonna say at the beginning of every month i can't remember now 
but he, he does a lot of video conferencing with people and you can find it on YouTube and their website and stuff. And But it's it, it's amazing when you listen to them because almost everything, they cannot make it through a study of any type without bringing up um, sexuality and, and the, in, in any form basically and how the, your, your body brings you closer to God. And, and so they're, they're quite taken up on that narrative. Yeah. Yeah. Um, see, when I first heard about them, I, I just simply thought that they were a group who had very bad hermeneutics. Yeah. Um, I thought, you know, all they did was just focus on the red letters in, um, in uh, standing against the, the, red, the black letters. So the, uh, the letters of like Paul and Peter and, and elevating one over the other and that's i mean they do that yeah. and that's what i thought they only did um but that is one of the areas uh that's one of their uh key that's, that's one of the things that that they they focus on um it is this drive to uh to live by the red letters um jesus words are seen as more authoritative than the black letters and i mean a little bit of this you can kind of see in some churches, not 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 the not embracing red letter Christianity, but almost saying, "Well, Jesus said this, but Paul said this. Well, I'm going to go with Jesus because, well, Jesus is is God, and and Paul is just just, just Paul, just Paul." Yeah. Um, you do see it, and in, in the people that talk about it and say that, you wonder how closely they realize how closely they are lying to the red letter Christians when they're saying that. Um, yeah. Um, but well, I, if you wrote here this quote by D.A. Carson where he says they were trying to find a canon within a canon and it's true and, and like you when I first heard about Red Letter Christians I was, con- it was I was deceived in thinking that all oh, these guys they're just they see so much hate in the world that they want people to realize that Jesus is, is he's God but he, he's love and compassion and he's a friend of sinners and and they do use that term a lot, to, to, but they take it to the extent a little bit too far with some of the things they try to defend. But when I first started looking at this, oh, they, they mean well, until you start digging into it. Yeah. And they're deliberately deceiving people. Yeah. And they're, yeah, so it's not simply a bad hermeneutic, uh, a bad way of studying the Bible, um, trying to find a canon within a canon. Um, but as, as we've been hitting on, um, they're, they're more concerned about action and doctrine. Um, Tony Campolo, uh, he says this, on the day of judgment, the Lord will, will, will not, the Lord will not ask theological questions so much as he will ask if we fulfilled our social obligations. So focuses on basically social justice. So red letter Christianity is not so much, uh, uh, hermeneutic driven movement it's a social justice movie, uh, movement um, and then in the red letter Christian website it says as faith rooted organization dedicated to culture change uh oh and shifting the narrative around faith and politics red letter Christian focuses on civic engagement direct action and movement building through storytelling and, and here it is, social justice. 
we seek to amplify the voices of those uh, on the margins to help counter toxic evangelicalism and to incite transform transformative social change. This is really what they're about. That is who they are. And they kind of remind me, and I know this is a bit off topic again, but I'm good for that. <laughs> Back in the turn of the century in the 1900s, late 1800s, you had the, the Darwinism movement. And you had Christians at that time do what these Christian these these people are doing, where they attempt to look at the outside world and all oh, this is happening. We need to adjust the Bible to fit the narrative of the time, and that's exactly what they're doing here. Is that they see this uptick of of social justice warriors basically saying, "Oh, you need to love, 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 regardless of the sin that they're committing," and they completely forget the fact that the true love is telling taking Jesus to the masses. And, and tell him about the love that he has. Even though you are a sinner, he still will die and forgive you. He still died to forgive you. and But they miss that. The, their idea is, we're going to accept you as you are, and, and anyone that, that wants to tell you the gospel, and that's a sin, then they're just toxic evangelicalism. Yep. And I mean, you, you've heard, I, I've heard that the expression toxic um, well, may not attach to evangelicalism, but toxic uh, masculinity, toxic, and it's always in um, a liberal sense, right? Like true manhood. Well, that is toxic masculinity. Um, and of course, there's a little bit, you know, there is a, a point in where we're calling something that is supposed to be manly, not really, it's not, it's not actually, it's just abuse, yeah. is what it is. But yeah. So this terminology, I mean, it, for me, it's red flags. It's, okay, this is liberal theology. And um, then I went on their website and I spent some time there. And I know you spent more time there. Don't remind me. <laughs> oh, yes, I did. <laughs> and you see articles there upon articles about current uh, cultural uh, movements um, that they are embracing like... And this is probably going to get us kicked off the air. Uh, BLM, Black Lives Matter, they're, they're in total support of that. Um, LGBTQ, marriage and rights, they are championing that they should be uh, married. They should have all of the rights that, that others have. Um, another big one is poverty. But it's, it's dealing with poverty. And I, I think we, you know, we need to deal with poverty in, in our land. There, there are homeless people that don't have anything. But they don't want to do it through social justice uh, programs, right? Right, and because they'll blame it, like everything, like on their website you'll find articles about shootings and they blame it on white supremacy, you know, and that's their focus. They, they, they funnel everything through the social justice and virtue signaling instead of through the gospel and what Jesus is telling. And, and some of the articles they have on their site is like, to affirm the death penalty is to reject the Christian gospel. And it, they, you can see, and you kind of, you said it earlier, but they have no hermeneutic. They simply cannot, because they'll focus on that, and they have lots of articles and, and videos on the death penalty, and they're they're against it, and and but to ascribe it to the gospel, it's like it's the church's duty to preach the gospel. It's our duty to tell the gospel. It's the state's duty to uphold justice and authority and punish the evildoers, basically. So if they were attempting to speak truth and proclaim it, then they would perhaps change this article and say the church should be focused more on the gospel and then 
allow the state and like i mean me my personal view on and i've told you this david i don't really like the death penalty either because we're all sinful and we all make wicked awful mistakes but at the same time for me to go and say something like you're rejecting the christian gospel would be me forgetting what romans 13 says and and this is where you fall into the red letter christians right they're over emphasis on god jesus's words without taking the entire inspirational scriptures into account that, that's exactly right, Glenn. Is um, they're they're missing the Bible, really. Uh, I mean, uh, they're looking for a canon within a canon, and they they they're looking at the Bible through the lens of social justice and um, whatever is culturally relevant. And uh, if it doesn't if it doesn't uh, line up to scripture, well, they throw out scripture, and they just say, well, you know, you're not living uh, according to the gospel. Um, but this, I mean, it's not new, is it? This, this isn't new. No, it's not. It, it, it's, it just takes different forms. People's attempt to, it's just another, if I can be blunt, satanic attempt to discredit scripture yeah. and, and, and strip God of his holiness. And sure, we love to, our sinful natures, we love to focus on, oh, God is love and Jesus loves us and Jesus walked with sinners. And yeah, he did. But he's also the holy just God that is, will return as a judge and he will judge the world. And we don't want to talk about that. We, right. we, so many people and these red letter Christian folks are big on that. They, they want to talk about lovey-dovey accepting everybody. Well, they're going to have a rude awakening when they stand before Christ and realize, hey, this, the creator of heaven and earth loved us enough to go to Calvary and made us a way to, to trust him. Mm-hmm. And now he, but he is holy too. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's red letter Christianity in a nutshell. Right, it's they they have, well they have to have a certain Bible that has red letters. Yeah. Uh, they focus on those and, and they, they basically diminish or dismiss the rest um, because of this thought that those red letters are authorita- authoritative, the other ones really aren't or at least they're less. Um, so that's that's part of it, and then there's this emphasis on social justice. Um, so what what do we what do we do with this? Well, the, many guys out there and, and women are much better worded than I am, and uh, in our notes we included an article that, funny or not, was on that group that I left. Someone shared this article when the debate about red letter Christians was going on on that site by Wes McAdams, and he he put together a very good argument about the Red Letter Christians in, in a little blog or article he wrote. And uh, I guess the way is that we could ask the three, four questions that Wes asked. And number one was, what books did Jesus write? The answer is uh, none. None, but, but all, really, right? And so and he goes into the gospel accounts were not written by Jesus. They were written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If it were not for the apostles and first century disciples, we would have no record of Jesus' words. These men, just like Paul, wrote by inspiration and recorded the words of Christ for our benefit. Yep. There's no room to discredit some portions of the scripture. They're all inspired. So what you see with red letter Christians is that they they truly dismiss the inspiration of scripture. Right? That, I mean... It's an outright rejection of uh, 1 Timothy chapter 
Oh, help me out here. Where's the second Timothy? Second Timothy chapter three. Uh, for all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness. The man of God may be fully equipped. They dismiss that. Yeah. And they say, no, 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 it's just the red letters. Yeah. Yeah. Second Timothy three sixteen, I believe it is. Or right around there. Yeah. And then the next question was Matthew more inspired than Paul? Right. Because Matthew has more red letters in his book and Paul has none. Right. But he's not. No. Right. It just, we feel like, I just feel like we're repeating ourselves now. Right. Because it's just so obvious. That... It really is. And I mean, talking about inspiration, um, because it, I think this, this question could be kind of worded a little differently. Um, because when it comes to inspiration, the person wasn't inspired, the writings were inspired. Right? So, um, the, the, the letter, the words that Paul wrote, the words that Matthew wrote, they were the ones that God uh, wrote through them. Um, but I think what I, I want us to camp on a couple of minutes is this third question. Yes. Because really, when, when, we, when we steer away from the authority of Scripture, when we try to find a canon within a canon, when we try to yeah, dismiss the, the rest, um, it's because we're trying to justify something. Um, we're trying to find an out. And so the third question is, what behavior are you trying to justify? And he goes, often it seems when people try to dismiss or diminish Paul's epistles, it is because they don't like something he said. But again, the same God who gave us the words of Jesus also gave us the words of Paul. The argument that Jesus said nothing against homosexuality, so he must not have a problem with it, is a bogus argument. The Spirit of Christ dwelt in Paul. So when Paul wrote about homosexuality, Jesus was condemning homosexuality through Paul. And, I mean, what, you see this again, go on, go on the website, look at their website, and what you will see is this continual dismissal of, uh, you know, LGBTQ, for instance. Why? Because Jesus didn't talk about it, so we really shouldn't. Yeah. Or, as some people would say, the Bible, the Bible is silent on that subject. It's funny because we could get a bit creative here and think about, about probably a dozen things that Jesus didn't talk about, so therefore does that mean we can do it? Is it fine if we take our granny and grandpa and put them out on an ice floe in the north and just let them float away? Because Jews didn't say not to do it, right? It's just, it's a silly concept. Uh, but they, well, if you go on their website for five minutes, they are completely lost on this topic they, there. But if you think about it, a lot of these original founders of the Red Letter Christians, at least two of them, and as this developed, had sons that came out as homosexual, and you see that big shift when that happened, where they had really picked up on the Red Letter Christian websites. So yeah, I think those three questions are are great, and even, um, I mean, you may be in a church that doesn't even know about this doesn't even know about Red Letter Christian or this movement, but there may be a subtle form uh, trying to pit God, uh, Jesus' words against you know James or, or, or whatever. Um, so these are really good questions to kind of wrestle with. Uh, what books did Jesus write? Uh, was, was Matthew more inspired than Paul? Uh, what behavior are you trying to justify? You know, and just kind of understand that, that God is the one who 
oral scripture through these men. Yeah. And it's worth, yeah. And if you if you catch yourself, not you, David, but whoever's listening, favoring the words of Jesus over the rest of the scripture or favoring any part of the scripture over another in an unhealthy way such as this, like, check yourself, go back, realize that the scripture is inspired. It's all for our benefit. And to read it in such a way um, because when you start focusing too much on one portion of the scripture, you forget about other parts. Yeah. I think it's a good way of wrapping that up. I think so. And as always, do you remember the quote? Life, Life is short. Death is sure. Sin the cause. Christ the cure.